It's good to see all of you today. Glad that you guys are here. Twelve weeks ago, we started this journey together, this series on the family of God. Today, that series, that journey is going to come to a close. I went back this morning and read a little bit of that first sermon back at the end of April when we started this series. And I said to you on that day that there is a fellowship that exists eternally between God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, and that anyone who belongs to Christ in faith, that they trust in His work on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins, that He welcomes them into that fellowship. And I have said that to you many times in this series, and I want to reiterate it again today for a couple of reasons. Number one, that we have been welcomed into that fellowship is going to be extremely important when we read and look at this passage today and the heart of it. And secondly, the reminder that we do not get to create church the way that we want it to be. It's not ours to do that. It's His fellowship. It existed before we were ever a thought. We don't get to enter into it and then decide, okay, I kind of like that idea of community and church. Not really sure that I like that very much, so I'm just going to kind of form it the way that best suits me. We don't have that option as Christ followers. And so when we come together, we're invited into that fellowship. It is then Jesus who binds us together for the fullness of our joy. That was something we looked at that first week. It is Christ who binds us together. And so therefore, our fellowship, the maturity of this church grows as we grow in fellowship with Jesus, as we learn how to share in His life, as we learn how to go to His Scriptures and let Him teach us, as we learn how to receive His power through prayer, as we learn to suffer like Him, as we learn to partner together in His mission. These are all things we've talked about over the last 12 weeks. And so I gave you this statement week one. I want to give it to you again. It's not in your notes, but I just want to speak it out. The strength of this fellowship at Agape will be determined by the maturity of our fellowship with Jesus. If we want strong fellowship, if we want to be a strong community, it is not going to come through programs. It's not going to come through our own devices and wisdom, it is going to come one way, and that is if we have strong fellowship with Jesus. I don't know many people who haven't struggled with community in church before. Most people I know at some point or another, they struggle with community, feeling like they fit in or don't fit in. They connect or they don't connect. And most of the time when we struggle in fellowship, we look around, and the Bible calls us to look up. What I mean by that is sometimes we think, okay, the church isn't connecting well. I'm a leader. What do I do to fix that? What, what, do, I need? what, what do we need to do differently? What service do we need? What additional class do we need? How do we need to structure things to really help people connect Sometimes when it's us, when we just, I don't feel like I fit in, we look around and then we start blaming people. You know what, it's their fault or it, it's the way that, you know, it's the way the church is or it's, it's the dynamic. There's just not people here like I am that are in that life season that I'm in. That's, that's, how, we're, that's how we're trained to think by the world. 
Because that's how the world builds culture. That's how the world builds community. Like-mindedness around hobbies and thoughts on the world and how we view things. I think one of the most important things that Christ is calling us to in this series is that we would be a church that would boldly and audaciously believe that if we would learn how to love Him better together, that He would take care of the connectedness. A boldness and a courage to say, there will be unity and community here. There will be connectedness if we learn how to worship Jesus better together. What we do is say, I don't feel connected, so I'm going to withdraw from worship. And it completely exasperates the issue. Because engaging Christ together is how the community is formed and strengthened. That must be our culture here. That must be what we do. That must be a fruit of this series of preaching. Is that in our minds we know I must love Jesus better and I need to help the people around me love Jesus better. And then the community and connectedness will come. And so I share that because the heart of today's message, I believe, hits on these same things that we talked about the very first week in this series. Draw your attention in your notes to Romans 15.7, the very last verse in the text that Kellen read. I believe this is the heart of the passage, the heart of the message today. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That church is our marching orders for community. What does it mean to welcome? It means to accept someone. It means to take someone in as your companion. It means to admit them into your society or to your friendship. And we are told to welcome one another as the qualifier Christ has welcomed you. So agape, how does Christ welcome you when you abide with Him? How does He welcome you? How did He welcome you if you're a believer? How did He welcome you into His fellowship? How does He welcome you when you draw near to Him every day? Does He welcome you with your faults? Does He welcome you in spite of the fact that you have offended Him? Does He welcome you even though you have made mistakes? Does He welcome you even though your personality may be really different from His? The answer to those things is absolutely yes. And that is how we are to welcome one another. Flaws and faults and offenses and different personalities, we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And we do it for the glory of God. That's what's at stake. Not that God's glory would be robbed from Him. I think sometimes we use that terminology without really thinking. Nothing strips God of His glory. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, every person on earth could go blind and it wouldn't change the brilliance of the sun. And every person on earth 
could not believe in God and it wouldn't change his brilliance or his glory. But what is at stake is whether or not people can see the glory of God in us. What is at stake is whether or not people can see the glory of Christ in this church. That's what's at stake when we talk about welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. That's the heart of our instruction today. If you have a Bible, if you would please get that out and go to Romans 15. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, please take one off that back table as a gift from our church. We'd love for you to have that. If you're a note taker and you want to pull those that worship guide out for the notes, what we're looking at today in this heart of the passage that is welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you is if we're honest, that is not always hard when it comes to people who are like us. The difficulty in welcoming one another is when we are called to welcome someone who is not like us. When we are called to welcome someone who has harmed us inside of the church. And that is our scope today, by the way. This sermon is not about how we interact with people who are not believers. This is instructions to the church. So if you will, look at this life truth with me. If you want to test the maturity of your fellowship with Christ, then consider how willing you are to welcome Christians who have offended you the most or are the most unlike yourself. It is good to give ourselves tests sometimes to meditate and consider our faith. The Bible tells us to do that. And, and the point I want to make to you today that I think is coming from Romans 15 and that I hope you see as we get into the passage is that it's kind of easy to give ourselves a pass and to say, I'm a pretty welcoming person. I accept people. I, I have community in the church. And it's, it's good. But here's the test. Here's the test of the maturity of your fellowship in the church. Here's the test of how welcoming you are. How well do you do that? How willing are you to do that for people that have offended you in the church? People that have intentionally or unintentionally made mistakes and harmed you or your family. How willing are you to welcome people that are really, really, really unlike you? that view the world a lot differently than you do, that have come from much different backgrounds than you have. That is a test of how willing and ready we are to have the kind of fellowship that Christ calls us to. That's a good test for us as a church. It's not to say, I think we're a very welcoming place and we have a strong community because... Look at all of these different pockets and groups of people that are strong in community. But look at the fellowship and look at the church and ask, what about the people that are on the fringe? What about the people that don't fit in that well? What is our willingness to reach out to them? What is our willingness to welcome them? 
That's the question that I think is put before us today in this passage. In your notes, we are to welcome fellow believers without partiality. That word partiality comes from James chapter 2, verse 1. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Partiality means to accept someone according to what you can see. It means to accept someone based on favoritism. It is to love someone more than someone else, to be willing to welcome one person in the church more than you're willing to welcome a different person in the church. And the Bible says, have no partiality among you. This doesn't mean that you can't have really close friends in community. Even Jesus had that. He had a circle of disciples. He had an inner circle. The reality is that all of us don't have the time or capability to develop really deep friendships with everyone. But it does mean you should be as willing to welcome and love and serve and show hospitality to one family in the church as you are another. There should be no favoritism there. You should not look at someone based on what you know of them, what you've learned of them, what you've heard of them, what you've seen them post on social media and say, I I don't really think I'm going to get along with them. I'm just going to kind of keep my distance. In the church, we're not allowed to do that because that's not how Christ has lived among us. And that is not how Christ has taught us to live. Look at verse 1 in Romans 15. Paul says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now right away, it should cause us to ask, What does he mean here by those who are strong and those who are weak? And so if you have a Bible, flip back one chapter because he started this argument, this teaching in Romans chapter 14. And I'm going to read the first six verses of Romans 14 and that's going to give us an idea of what he's talking about when we get to Romans 15. So in Romans 14, he says this, first six verses. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day should observe it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord, since he gave thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. All right, so what is he talking about? Well, the context is this. As the gospel was going forth, Gentiles, non-Jewish people were coming to know Jesus as well as Jewish people. Those who had no religious background or maybe even pagan religious background were coming to know Christ, but so were people who were steeped in Judaism. 
And so there were these Jews who were coming into the faith and they were being mingled with these Gentiles. And the Jewish people, as they were coming to know Christ, they were agreeing on the essential things. Christ is Lord. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. We believe in Him for salvation. But they were also saying, we have these rules in Judaism. There's certain things that it's really honoring to God if I don't eat those things. So I'm not going to eat those things. And there are certain days in Judaism that are really important that we should really honor God. And I'm going to keep honoring God. And the Jews who were coming to faith were looking at the Gentiles and they were saying, why do you eat whatever you want? It's honoring to God to abstain from certain things. Why don't you observe these holy days the way that we do? And the Gentiles who were coming to faith, they were saying, those days don't mean anything in Christ. Why are you worried about rules and what you eat and what you don't eat? And so it was creating division. What you had was people who agreed on the essential things of Christianity, the essential doctrines of faith, but they were arguing over non-essential things, over things that were not that important. And Paul was saying, look, those of you who are, he called weak in faith, those who haven't matured in their understanding of Jesus and come to a place of, of the freedom that some of you have, those who are weak, you're going to end up despising the strong because you're going to look at them and you're going to say, well, why don't, excuse me, you're going to judge the strong. You're going to look at them and you're going to judge them and you're going to say, why don't you do what I do? Why do you eat those things? You shouldn't eat that. You shouldn't drink that. You shouldn't observe that day or not observe that day. And so you're going to pass judgment on them because they don't follow the same rules on these non-essential issues that you do. And those of you who are strong, you're going to look at the weak people and you're going to despise them. Why? Because they're going to be hard to get along with. Because they're, you're, going to, you're going to feel like you invite them to dinner and you can't serve certain things. You're going to feel like if you're having a conversation with them and they say, hey, are you going to, are you going to celebrate this holiday on Monday? You're going to feel like you're backed into a corner. So you're going to despise them in their weakness. And Paul says, you shouldn't do either one of those things. Who are you to judge or despise another believer? You're not their master. They have a God. They have a shepherd in Christ. He is able to lead them into truth. He is able to show them things. He is able to make them stand. Now, the question for us is, what does that look like in our context? Because we could look at this and just say, well, okay, I, I, I do these, you know, I, I see what's happening here between Jews and 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 Gentiles, but what does that mean in the context that we're in today? What does that mean where we live? Do we do this? All right, so what if one believer in this church says, I believe in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe the Bible tells us that we should not get drunk. And I believe it is most honoring to God to not drink anything 
to not even be tempted. And another believer says, I believe in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe the Bible says we should avoid drunkenness, but I feel the freedom to drink. What if you have one believer that says, I believe in Christ for the salvation of my sins. I believe that because of that, when it comes to the Sabbath day, I want to try to do is no work. I don't think it should cut grass on the Sabbath. I don't think we should labor on the Sabbath. And another believer says, I believe in Christ. I think we have freedom. We celebrate the Lord every day. There's a Lord's Day that we gather, but the Sabbath is just a day. We can work on that day. What if one believer says, I believe in Christ for the salvation of my sins. I believe that it is honoring to God that when it comes to Halloween, we go in our house and we isolate and we do not participate in that day. And what if another believer says, I believe in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, but I think we should engage in holidays like Halloween to shine the light of Jesus to teach people about Christ? What if one family says, we don't put up a Christmas tree and Christmas lights because of some of the questionable roots of those, those traditions? And another believer says, I have the freedom to do that. What if one Christian says, I believe it is honoring to God to obey the Constitution of the United States, to take advantage of it, to own guns? to hunt and to defend my family. And another believer says, I think there's too many gun crimes and I think there should be gun control and gun legislation that should limit weapons in our country. And I think that is most honoring to God. I could go on and on. If nothing I said there stirred you at all, you're a pretty chill believer. If I kept going, I would have got you eventually. But for some of you, it may have stirred something for a moment. The point in all of this is the kingdom of God. Look at verse 17 in Romans 14. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not a matter of drinking in wisdom or being a teetotaler. It's not a matter of participating in Halloween or not. It's not a matter of being someone who believes in gun rights or believes in gun control. It's not a matter of being affiliated with this political party or that political party. It is a matter of Jesus Christ. It is a matter of the righteousness and the peace and the joy that comes to us through the Holy Spirit. That is what the kingdom is about. Is, do those things matter? Sure. But are they essential to the Christian faith? No. And if we divide over things that are not essential, 
we're dividing the body of Jesus. And we're not doing it at his permission. We're doing it at our own pleasure. What we're being told is welcome those that Christ has welcomed. And do not do that to quarrel over opinions on non-essential things. Focus on the unity that is in Jesus. That's the picture. That's what we're being called to. I go back to the life truth. Do you welcome people who are just like you, who have never offended you with their opinions on social media or their thoughts about the world or even something they've said to you in church? Or are you willing to welcome those who are totally unlike you but believe in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and have offended you at times in non-essential matters but in the thing that matters about Jesus, you are together. That is the test of maturity of fellowship. And that is what Paul is talking about in weak and strong. So let's go back to Romans 15. We are to welcome fellow believers without partiality, regardless of these non-essential matters and how we might disagree about those things. We are called to love one another based on the essential thing that is Jesus. Secondly, we are to endure with one another like a debt that we owe in your notes. We are to endure with one another like a debt that we owe. So look at verse 1 again. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Paul uses the word there, obligation. It means to be bound by what is fitting or to be indebted to what is due. We owe one another the obligation. We are bound to one another to do what is right. We owe one another the debt of endurance. That we are willing to endure with one another, even when we disagree on non-essential things. That we are to endure with one another, even when we offend each other. When we make mistakes, when we sin against each other. We endure and we keep enduring. If you are in this church and you think, I'm pretty strong in my faith. I'm, I'm pretty mature in my faith. You have an obligation to bear with the weak. You have an, ob an obligation to bear with those who are not yet mature. And if you are immature, and you can admit that, then part of your growth and part of you stretching yourself and learning to grow in Christ is to endure with those who are strong and to not judge them, but to learn to live together. Romans 13.8 says something very similar. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. That means sometimes to endure and bear with one another, you are going to have to set your feelings aside. You're going to have to set your flesh aside. You are going to have to draw near to someone. You're going to have to serve someone. You're going to have to spend time with someone that everything in you and all of your feelings says, I really do not want to do this. 
I don't want to accept their invite. I don't want to invite them to my house. I don't want to spend time with them. I don't want to walk across the room and introduce myself. I don't want to try to get to know them. And and Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I understand. Set yourself aside. You have an obligation to do this. It is a debt you owe because of what Christ has done for you. In your notes, we are to endure with one another like a debt that we owe. We are to intentionally labor for one another's joy. Endurance and bearing with one another in our failings is not just about putting up with one another and just barely getting by. It's actually much more than that. Look at verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Okay, now we're going beyond just put up with each other. And now we're saying, actually work to please one another. Actually work to bring joy to one another. Find that person in the church that you probably would be less likely to want to spend time with, less likely to get along with, and put some energy and labor into bringing them joy in their faith. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. I said intentionally labor because we're not going to accidentally fall into this. If it is a debt you owe, it's a debt you have to pay. You can't look at these instructions and think, okay, yeah, I, yeah, this is good. I need to try to do this sometime. I, I need to, you know, if, if I end up being around that person or that group, I need to, I need to put a little bit more effort. Now, This is a debt we owe to one another, and so we have to intentionally work toward it. Just like a bill that you would pay off because you owe it, we need to work for this debt to be paid toward one another. So much so is Paul serious about this, setting aside ourselves to please our neighbor. Go back to Romans 14 one more time. Look at verses 13 through 15. In Romans 14, he says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather let's decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded to the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Here's what the strong would do. We have freedom to drink. Grow up a little bit. Paul says, no. When you're with that person, you set it aside. Don't destroy them because of your freedom. There are some of you in this room who could sit down with someone who vehemently disagrees with you on some issue that you're really passionate about, and you guys could have a conversation, and y'all could talk back and forth about some political matter or some issue, some doctrine, non-essential but doctrine of the faith, and you could get to the end of that conversation, and you could be like, all right, cool. I'm glad we did this. We had a good talk. I love you. You love me. See you Friday at small group or whatever. Some of us cannot do that. Some of us were not ready to do that. 
we have not yet learned how to separate our passions on issues in the world and be able to vehemently disagree on things and still love one another. And so we should not put a stumbling block as a strong person for someone who's weak. So if you're strong and you vehemently believe that it's okay for a Christian to own a firearm, but you have someone else who's a little bit more immature in their faith, not because of their belief in that, but just because of where they are in Christ, and you know if we start talking about guns, it's going to end up in a fight, then don't bring it up. And if they bring it up, it's okay for you to not share your opinion. If you know that sharing your opinion would harm their faith in the process. Because it doesn't matter as much as Jesus. I'm not intentionally picking on guns this morning, by the way. It's just, if you want to pick some other political issue, I can. But there's many. Foreign affairs, welfare, whatever. Don't use your strength to cause another brother or sister to stumble. If they believe that on Halloween you should go in your house and isolate, don't make a big deal around them about your participation in that holiday. He goes on to say, if you look in verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. When it comes to non-essential matters, not non-important matters, but non-essential matters that are not related to Christ and the cross, we are supposed to love one another. And sometimes that means keeping our faith about those non-essential things to ourselves while reaching out to please our neighbor and serving them. Not just staying away from them, but loving them and honoring them to build them up in the faith. Back in Romans 15, here are what I believe the reasons that we're called to do this, this obligation to intentionally labor for one another's joy. As we seek to strengthen the weak among us, those who are most unlike us, those who are hurting the most, those who are disconnected, those who are lonely, those who feel outcast, we are supposed to strengthen them. And as we do that, here's the benefit of that work and that labor. Number one, we identify with the suffering of Christ. When we decide to please our neighbor, even if we disagree with them on non-essential issues, and we decide to do that for their good to build them up, we are identifying with the suffering of Jesus. Look at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself... But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The four in verse 3 tells us, here's the motivation for all of this. Here is why you need to sometimes set your feelings aside and, and your passions about non-essential issues aside and serve and love others who are unlike you because that's what Jesus did. That's what he did for you. And then he quotes... Psalm 69, 
and he applies it to Jesus, essentially saying the insults that were due those who insulted God have fallen on Jesus. Jesus set himself aside not to please himself, but he set himself aside so he could take the wrath and the insults due us because of the way that we've insulted God. And he says, live that way in the church. Be willing to set yourself aside, your feelings aside. In the, in the day of the, of the Jews and the Romans, what we talked about a moment ago, for the Romans to, to go along with what the Jews were saying and to say, yeah, I won't eat that, I won't serve that at my dinner party, we won't drink that at my dinner party, they might get ridiculed by other Gentile Christians. Oh, now you're joining them? Now you're going to do what they're doing? And Paul's saying, that's what Jesus did. He was willing to go to the outcast. He was willing to go to the lonely. He was willing to identify with them, with you, so that you might have the blessings of God, so you be willing to do the same. Copy list. Be people that, I'm not saying we don't do this, I'm just, I'm saying this is our, should be our culture. Be people that notice, look around the room before church, stay after church, come to small group, look for the person who no one's talking to, go to them. Go make friends with them, go spend time with them. On the holidays, figure out who might not have anywhere to go, invite them over. Love on them. I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to any of you. Set yourself aside to please your neighbor, especially the weak, because that is what Christ did. Secondly, we identify with the suffering of Christ when we intentionally labor for one another's joy and strengthen the weak. Secondly, we seek the fullness of God in our own lives. Look at verse 4 and 5. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. He's referring to the Old Testament in Psalm 69 there that he had just quoted. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May, and he turns this whole thing into a prayer. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another. God is the God of endurance and encouragement. When you seek to be a person who endures with others and encourages the weak, you are seeking the character of God in your own life. Do you, ask yourself the question, do you want the fullness of God? And our immediate answer should be yes. Now what does that look like? Seek to be someone who endures with other believers that are unlike you, even weak ones, and encourage them in the faith. And you are then expressing the character of God, the fullness of God. And then thirdly, when we seek to strengthen the weak, we build up the church by which we are then built up. If you, if you were going on a cross-country journey in an airplane, or if you were going to Atlanta in an airplane, do you want the mechanics to focus on the strong parts of the plane and to really strengthen them more, or do you want them to find the weakest part of the plane and make sure that it's ready to go? 
the enemy will always attack at the weakest points. He will look for the weak in the church to try and devour them and, and maybe even harm the church through them. When you, with the Spirit of God in you, find the weak in faith and you build them up, you are helping that person, but you are helping the whole church. You are building up people that will one day build you up. You are building up people to build up a church that you will find your own health and well-being in. This last line in your notes. The more or less harmony, and I have there blanks for you to write in, like-mindedness, because that's what harmony means. The more or less harmony we have with Jesus, the more or less harmony we will have with one another. So in other words, the more we think like Jesus, the more peace and unity we will have in this church. The less we think like Jesus, the less peace and harmony we will have in this church. Verse 5 and 6 again. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What I want you to focus there on there, that prayer, may the God of endurance grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ. Not any other non-essential issue we might put there. With Christ. We live in accord with Christ. The more all of us in this room and everyone who calls this church home, the more that we think like Jesus and abide with Him, the more we will have harmony with each other. But the less we do that, the less we spend time with Christ and think the way He thinks, then the less harmony we will have in the church. Because fellowship is about Jesus. You and I in this room may differ on how we honor Christ, and that's okay. Some of us are going to honor Christ with what we eat. Some of us are going to honor Christ by what we abstain from eating. Some of us are going to say, I, I have a really strict diet, and there's certain things that I, I don't eat, and I, I follow these diet plans, and other people are going to say, I, I don't do that. I accept all of it in the glory of God and just try to maintain self-control. Everyone should be trying to honor Christ. Some of us are going to honor Christ with what we drink. Some are going to honor with how we abstain. Some are going to honor Him in participating in cultural holidays, some by abstaining from them. Some of us are going to differ on how we honor Christ. Some of us are going to have certain ideas of politics, and some of us are going to have other ideas of politics. Some of us are going to have certain beliefs about medicine, and some of us are going to have differing beliefs. And Some of us are going to have certain beliefs about how we should school our kids, and some people are going to have differing beliefs. And if you want to build community with people who think just like you do on those things, you can. 
but it is sinking sand and it does not cause you with one voice to glorify God. What will cause us with one voice to glorify God is when we say, yeah, you know what? We don't agree on those things, but here's what we agree on. Jesus is Lord. And what he has written is true. And that's what we agree on. And if we divide on non-essential issues, it may mean we love our view on that non-essential issue more than we love Jesus. We must cling to him and love one another because it is all about him. I, I don't want to belabor the point. I know I'm at the end, but listen, it is so important for us to get this. It is not Jesus plus homeschooling. It is not Jesus plus Republican, Jesus plus Democrat. It's not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus. That's it. It's about Him. And He is big enough to unite people who see differently on all of those things. And not only is He big enough to do that, but that's what He's doing. And if we're not willing, if we're not willing to welcome people with all of what we perceive as their weaknesses and their faults and their stubbornness and their personalities, and we're not willing to receive them in the same way Jesus has received us, then we can call this whatever we want, but we shouldn't call it the church of the living Christ. Because we are told, receive one another the way Christ has received you. And, and listen, Agape, I don't think this is a huge problem here. I'm not preaching this so hard because I think this is the thing that we're teetering on. I see glimpses of it. I see glimpses of it in me. But when I talk about what the culture of our church needs to be, this is going to come up. It came up a lot of few years ago during COVID. What Kevin said this morning, when we get squeezed... When we get pressured, when we get stressed, what's in us, what comes out, it'll come up. It's going to come out again. It's going to come up again. And we have to be ready for that. It's all about Him. I love looking for ways of how God leads us. I've told you so many times about how God leads us in the Scriptures. Could, Sarah, could you guys bring that graphic up for me? Um, I love looking for how He ordains where we should be at any given time in our church and we're getting ready to transition. And next week, we're going to start a new series. And that series is going to be going through the letter of Colossians in the New Testament. And the sermon is called Christ, the sermon series is called Christ is All. And I, I do what I always do when we get ready to start a new series. I send, I send it to Rusty. And I say, hey, here's the title of the series. Here's the book. Here's what the series is about. You know, see what the Lord gives you. And so this is the graphic he sent back. I didn't give him that word. That's not the name of the series. The name of the series is Christ is All. And, and it's one of those things that you have to kind of look hard, right? If you, stare at the, if you stare at certain parts of it, you might not initially see the hymn. But if you, if you really focus, then you see it. And I asked Rusty what the story behind that was, and this is what he told me. 
My hope was to capture attention and ensure that eyes are drawn to him. I wanted to create a design that gets more than just a quick glance, something that kind of demands a focused attention. To get there, I had him be centered in a way that you have to look beyond the surrounding distractions. And so while obviously abstract, him is actually the entirety of the image once you remove those distractions. That last line in your notes, how do we battle division and disconnection? We love Jesus better together. I haven't preached this perfectly. I haven't preached it the way I really wanted to. There are always non-essential things that will trip us up, that will cause us to despise one another or judge one another. We are called by Jesus to remove all the distractions and focus on Him. We have been given the gift that we're going to leave this series and we're going to go into one that's going to be all about looking at Christ in Colossians. And if we give ourselves to that, to worship Him in His Word and to look to Him, then what we're talking about will come in our midst, that we will love one another. If you come to me and you say, I feel disconnected, I feel like I don't fit in, first thing I'm going to say is, are you making it a point to come to worship and small group and be zealous about it and be ready for it? Are you seeking out people in the church to love Jesus with together? Because that's the key. I want this church to be about Him in such a way that we have people here from all walks of life with all different views on things. And we get to a point where we can talk about those things and it not be division. But until then, we set ourselves aside to love one another and focus on Jesus. Because He is the builder of community and He is the sustainer of community.